Kings 15, verses 1 through 7 is our text. 2 Kings chapter 15, verses 1 through 7. In the 27th year of Jeroboam, king of Israel, Azariah, son of Amaziah, king of Judah, became king. He was 16 years old when he became king, and he reigned 52 years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Jechaliah of Jerusalem. He did right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father Amaziah had done. Only the high places were not taken away. The people still sacrificed and burned incense on the high places. The Lord struck the king so that he was a leper to the day of his death. And he lived in a separate house while Jotham, the king's son, was over the household judging the people of the land. Now the rest of the acts of Azariah and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Judah. And Azariah slept with his fathers, and they buried him with his fathers in the city of David, and Jotham, his son, became king in his place. The reading of Holy Scripture. Be seated, and let's pray together. We pray, Father, that you would open our eyes, that we might behold wondrous things from your holy word, through the help of your Holy Spirit, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Judah's King Azariah is likely more familiar to us by a different name and is perhaps better known for the year of his death than for anything that he did during his life. Regular Bible readers are familiar with the account of uh, Isaiah's life-changing account in chapter 6, verses 1 through 13 of his prophecy, in which he saw the Lord sitting on a throne lofty and exalted with the train of his robe filling the temple, saw six-winged seraphim flying through the air and heard them crying out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory, shaking the temple thresholds while it filled with smoke. The vision begins in chapter 6 and verse 1 there in Isaiah with the words, in the year of Isaiah's death. Since Azariah is also known by the name Isaiah, as he's also called in the rest of 2 Kings and in 2 Chronicles, Isaiah's well-known divine encounter took place in the year that Azariah died. 
To modern readers, the mention of Azariah doesn't mean a whole lot. But for people in ancient Judah, the king's death marked the end of an era, a 52-year reign of peace and prosperity. Perhaps the best contemporary comparison would be Queen Elizabeth II, whose reign of over 70 years is the longest of any British monarch. As Uriah was on the throne for more than a half a century, his death marked the end of a long period of stability and therefore served as a reference point for Isaiah in the unfolding account of God's people, Judah. Because of the significant length of Azariah's reign in Judah, his account serves as the backdrop for a long period uh, of abysmal succession of kings in Israel. But before the narrator turns our attention to them here in 2 Kings, he tells us what the Holy Spirit wants us to know about Azariah. And here we learn that God would have us to walk humbly before him in order that we might begin well and finish well. The title and headings of tonight's sermon are patterned after an old spaghetti western film. So-called because while its plot was situated in America's Wild West era, it was actually filmed in Italy. We'll consider the good of Azariah's reign, the bad of Azariah's reign, and the ugly of Azariah's reign. In the first place, then, the good of Azariah's reign, verses 1 through 3 and 6 and 7 of our text. Narrator begins in verses 1 and 2, as usual, by giving us the bare facts. In the 27th year of Jeroboam, king of Israel, Azariah, the son of Amaziah, king of Judah, became king. He was 16 years old when he became king. And he reigned 52 years in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Jechaliah of Jerusalem. So the son of Amaziah and Jechaliah took the throne when he was still a teenager and reigned until he was 68 years old. Can you imagine you who are teenagers taking up this kind of responsibility at the age of 16? Like some of Judah's kings, Azariah did well enough to receive the general commendation of verse 3. He did right in the sight of the Lord. So Azariah did fairly well in comparison to other kings of Israel. But apparently not like David, because although he did according to all that his father Amaziah had done, no reference is made to David's faithfulness. The summary of Azariah's reign in verses 6 and 7 
contains no details of his political or military accomplishments. It simply refers us to the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Judah, which, remember, aren't the same as the biblical books of uh, the Chronicles, First and Second Chronicles. There is an ever so brief note in chapter 14, verse 22 of Second Kings, which comes after the initial report that he succeeded his father and Uzziah on the throne. He built Elath and restored it to Judah after the king slept with his fathers. Elath was an important center of international trade at the time. But the good of Azariah's reign is actually a lot better than the narrator records in 2 Kings. The full account of Azariah's good is reported in 2 Chronicles 26, where it fills two times more space than the bad or the ugly. Twelve verses as compared to six. We learn in 2 Chronicles 26.5 that he continued to seek God in the days of Zechariah who had understanding through the vision of God. And as long as he sought the Lord, God prospered him. As long as uh, he sought the Lord, as long as uh, he was uh, under Zechariah's ministry, incidentally, this is not the same uh, Zechariah, uh, the prophet, who, whose uh, book we have in the canon of Old Testament scripture, who, uh, who prophesied during the post-exilic period of, uh, of, of Israel, uh, after the return from, from captivity, after the fall of Jerusalem, 586 B.C. Not uh, the same Zechariah. But it's interesting uh, to know that there was a prophet who was influential in Azariah's day. It's interesting uh, to see that early in his uh, kingship, he sought the Lord. Now that's that's a, a significant detail of, of his reign. Verses 6 through 15 there in 2 Chronicles 26 detail Azariah's military accomplishments. He warred successfully against many of Judah's enemies. Verse 7, God helped him against the Philistines and against the Arabians. Verse 8 says he brought the Ammonites under tribute. And his fame extended to the border of Egypt, for he became very strong. Verse 9 describes his extensive fortification of the city of Jerusalem. Chronicles goes on to extol Azariah's military prowess. He had an army of over 300,000 elite soldiers, always ready for war, equipped with all the finest weaponry of the day. He made innovative war machines for shooting arrows and slinging large stones that we know as catapults. The chronicler ends his account of Isaiah's accomplishments saying, 
Verse 15, Hence his fame spread afar, for he was marvelously helped until he was strong. That's the fuller account of the good of Amaziah's reign. That brings us to the bad of this king's reign. Like numerous kings of Judah before him, including Asa, Jehoshaphat, and more recently, his father Amaziah and his grandfather Joash, the fault that kept Azariah from unqualified commendation had to do with the high places. Here's yet another yes but or yes only king of Judah. He did right in the sight of the Lord only, verse 4, the high places were not taken away. The people still sacrificed and burned incense on the high places. Now in case you need a reminder, the high places were spiritual strongholds for false worship in Israel and Judah. They had originated with the Canaanites, who built altars to pagan gods on every high hill and beneath every luxurious tree, 1 Kings 14, verse 23. The Bible mentions these high places more than a hundred times, giving us a sense of how frequently they proved to be a stumbling block for Israel. Somehow, One writer comments, the Old Testament people of God couldn't seem to shake their desire to adore Asherah, bow down before Baal, cherish Shemash, make sacrifices to Moloch, and worship the rest of the deities of the Canaanite pantheon. God's directives for dealing with idolatry in the land of plenty were abundantly clear. Even before the Israelites entered the promised land, God had said to Moses, Deuteronomy 33, verses 51 to 52, Speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, When you cross over the Jordan into the land of Canaan, you shall drive out all the inhabitants of the land from before you and destroy all their figured stones and destroy all their molten image, images and de- demolish all of their high places. Yet over half a dozen centuries later, in the time of Azariah, the sons of Israel still had not dealt with their idols. Now if this repeated failure seems absurd or unreasonable to us, we only need recall how many sins continue to plague us. Is there a lust that you find hard to put to death? A sin that you commit so often you hardly even remember to confess it. Or even worse, you no longer think think of it as something that you need to confess. All of us have areas of hard spiritual struggle such that we can empathize with the people of Judah for their repeated failure to forsake the high places. Furthermore, the church of Jesus Christ today 
as its high places. Choosing to engage in unbiblical worship, in some cases even idolatrous worship, rather than offering God the pure, unadulterated worship that he's commanded and that he deserves. We've seen the good and the bad. Lastly, we consider the ugly of Azariah's reign. First Kings, here in 1 Kings 15, 5, we have a description of the ugly. Jehovah struck the king so that he was a leper to the day of his death. And he lived in a separate house while Jotham, the king's son, was over the household, judging the people of the land. Leprosy itself is, is an ugly disease. It's a disfiguring disease. But the reason that the Lord struck Azariah with leprosy is even uglier. Again, we get the background in 2 Chronicles 26, verses 16 to 21. In verse 16, we learn that when Azariah became strong, his heart was so proud that he acted corruptly and he was unfaithful to his Lord. Specifically, verse 16 goes on, he entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. When the high priest rebuked him for usurping the divinely instituted role of the priests and warned him that if he did this, he would have no honor from Jehovah. Azariah was enraged against the priests and was instantly struck with leprosy on his forehead. Second Kings tells us nothing of that. It only tells us of the disease. But that's the ugly. That's the ugliest of Azariah's reign when his pride became his undoing. Like Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon would later, Azariah fell victim to the truth of God's word in Proverbs 16, verse 18. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Now maybe... Azariah learned his lesson. Maybe he spent the rest of his days in penitent obedience as he was secluded away in that house outside of the city of Jerusalem. That's where lepers were kept while his son Jotham reigned in his place, judged the land, Second Kings says here. Maybe that's true. At the very least, he received the honor of a proper royal burial in the city of David, verse 7 of our text said, uh, says. But he still had to suffer the consequences of his ugly sin, of pride. Certainly there are significant spiritual lessons uh, that we can take away from the account of this ancient king of Judah. 
For our walk with God also consists of the good, the bad, and the ugly. First, remember that it's not just starting well that counts in the Christian life, but ending well. Finishing well. When things are going well for us in our lives, in our a Christian experience, it's easy to become proud of our apparent accomplishments. It's also easy for us to get angry with people who get in our way, as Azariah did. But God wants us to begin well. He wants us to finish well in the Christian race. The time of the Apostle Paul's departure was at hand. He noted that God was already pouring him out as a drink offering. That is, that his life was being expended by God. God was spending the Apostle's life for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And yet he could say, I fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. 2 Timothy 4, verse 7. I want to be able to say that when my time is at hand. With the time of my depart- when the time of my departure is at hand, when I'm about to die, I want to be able to say with the Apostle Paul, I have finished, I fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. And I know that you do too. Because God has implanted this desire in every genuine Christian's heart. To begin well and to finish well. Second, you should always keep in mind that there's nothing for you to be proud of. Everything you have comes from God. Everything that you've accomplished is a gift of His grace. Even when you're obedient to the command that Paul gives to us in Philippians chapter 2 to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, it's because God is at work in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Which means that your willing and your working are a product of God's willing and His working for His good pleasure. People who remember this truth Walk humbly with God. Listen listen patiently to words of correction and finish well or even better than they started. And even when they stumble, as everyone does, they can be confident in the promise that the Holy Spirit 
has given to all his believing people. Again, in Paul's letter to the Philippians, chapter 1 and verse 6, he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Gracious Father, one who is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, patient with us, and abounding in steadfast love and truth. We confess before you our desire to begin well and to finish at least as well or even better than we began the Christian race. Keep us from that which brings downfall in our lives. Keep us, O Lord, from being puffed up and arrogant. Keep pride away from our hearts. Show us that we've got nothing to be proud of. Enable us, O God, to keep the goal of the Christian race always before us. Uh, the crown of righteousness that's laid up before us in heaven, which we will subsequently lay at the feet of our Lord Jesus Christ in thanksgiving and praise to him for all that he has done. Do this, O Lord, for you have said that you are willing, O Lord, to, uh, that you will and you work for your good pleasure in us. Keep us to the end of our race. Keep us faithful that we might finish well, that we might fight the good fight, finish the race. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.